This episode of the Gondrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Kova, the leading compliant point of sale suite for cannabis retailers and delivery services. Kova was developed to address the needs of retail businesses in California, Colorado, Washington, and Canada. Kova integrates with state traceability systems such as Metric and Leaf, as well as a wide variety of other business tools such as Baker, Spring Big, and iHeartJane. Kova also has built-in compliance features such as looping alerts when purchase limit is exceeded, automated sales tax, and instant age verification with ID scanning. Discover the next evolution of cannabis retail software today at kovasoftware.com. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Morgan Fox. He's the Media Relations Director for the National Cannabis Industry Association. How are you doing this afternoon, Morgan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Super stoked. I've actually been trying to get you guys on the line for a while, but you're doing a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, and I know you're I know you're busy today. So so let's uh, get right down to it, man. Uh, what's your background and how did you get involved in the cannabis space? Uh, well, I actually started as an intern at Marijuana Policy Project back in 2008, shortly after I got out of college, and I've been doing it ever since. You know, I just uh, fell in love with the uh, the urgency and the complexity of this issue. And uh, you know, as a cannabis consumer myself, I was sick of uh, seeing people be criminalized for using something that's safer than alcohol. So I uh, just I dove in head first, and I've been doing it ever since. Would you get a, a degree in uh, political science? Oh, cool, man. And then you end up, you know, doing media relations. Um, so so what does the NCIA do? Give me sort of the the broad overview of what you guys do over there. Uh, National Cannabis Industry Association is the country's largest uh, cannabis uh, industry trade organization. Uh, we concentrate primarily on federal lobbying for fair treatment of cannabis businesses and the end of cannabis prohibition so that states can determine their own policies and uh, open up uh, their own legal markets. Uh, we also develop resources for people working in the industry and put on events uh, in order for people to showcase their uh, innovations and help network with other business professionals. And what were some of the uh, NCI goals that you guys had in 2018 and, and what did you accomplish? Uh, I mean, beyond just moving the uh, the needle quite a bit on a number of these issues, uh, we were able to help get uh, the medical marijuana protections included in the base bill of the uh, appropriations uh, legislation this year, which was the first time that it happened. And I think really goes to show that uh, protecting uh, state medical cannabis programs from federal interference is a non-issue in Congress now. Um, you know. Beyond that, we were able to help push uh, banking protections and 280E and uh, increased uh, veterans access and increased research a little bit farther along, despite uh, opposition from some key committees in Congress and uh, from some uh, old school obstructionists uh, that we unfortunately still have to deal with some of. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the uh, initiatives uh, that passed uh, in the midterms, you know, that was uh, a huge deal. NCI helped out to varying degrees. And uh, all those campaigns, and we're very happy that uh, they were successful. And uh, even North Dakota, which lost, uh, really helped uh, you know move the needle there as well. And uh, we're hopeful that that state can uh, make another go at it in 2020. Um, 
you know, when it comes to uh, congressional uh, issues, you know, the midterms were huge for us as well and for uh, cannabis policy reform generally. Uh, 46 out of the 56 uh, congressional candidates that NCI PAC donated to uh, won their elections, which is going to help us pave the way for serious progress in 2019. And the, uh, you know, the flip in the uh, uh, control of the House to the Democrats means that certain key committees, uh, particularly House rules that had blocked all of the uh, cannabis reform uh, amendments and legislation from being heard by the full House uh, is now under Democratic control. So we think we're going to have a much easier time of getting hearings in the uh, the coming Congress. And uh, in fact, uh, one small perk of it is that um, uh, now that Democrats are in control of uh, uh, the uh, Washington, D.C. Appropriations Committee, uh, D.C. might finally be able to regulate its uh, legal cannabis market. Throughout your time working with NCIA, what has the evolution been? Have you seen a softening? Have you seen a softening from, you know, Congress in general or, or you know, if you flip the minds of, of anybody um, that, that you're aware of? Well, I've only been with NCIA for a year, but in the uh, 10 years that I've been in the uh, uh, the movement, uh, you know, it's obviously been a total sea change. I mean, when I started uh, in this issue, I think there were maybe 11 medical cannabis states and uh, no legal states. So we've definitely come a long way in the last decade. But just in the last year, I think that uh, we've definitely uh, made a lot of progress. Um, you know, and the midterm elections were an excellent example of that with, uh, you know, cannabis becoming an issue that is not only, uh, you know, no longer dangerous for politicians, but actually can help people on both sides of the aisle. You know, no matter what party you're in, uh, supporting uh, legalized cannabis will guarantee to bump your polling a couple of points. And, uh, you know, that I think is a really uh, big evolution that not only has that been happening, but uh, that politicians are finally starting to realize it. So they're less afraid of tackling the issue. So let's talk about your goals and objectives for 2019. What's what's the NCIA trying to do for, for this coming year and this coming uh, legislative session? Well, at the very least, we'd like to get a hearing on some sort of a comprehensive uh, legalization bill. I mean, whether that uh, takes the form of federal decriminalization or uh, an outright regulation bill, uh, just something that will allow states to determine their own policies without federal interference uh, is going to be the major overarching goal. Uh, it's questionable about whether we'll actually be able to get a vote, but at the very least, we're confident that we'll be able to get a hearing, which will be the first time that that's happened in uh, quite a few years. Um, we're also uh, very uh, confident that we'll be able to make some progress, if not finally pass uh, something along the lines of the Safe Banking Act to uh, allow banks to do business with the cannabis industry and uh, at least push uh, the 280E issue uh, more to the forefront. Um, and, uh, you know, we're also hoping that we can uh, develop a much larger Larger cannabis caucus uh, uh, in the coming years. And I think that, uh, you know, we're already getting interest from a lot of people on the Hill uh, about this issue. So um, we're very hopeful that things are going to look good for the next Congress. So you mentioned you mentioned the banking issue and, and trying to push something through Congress. Are there any potential fixes, save for federal changes uh, to address this this banking issue, which is, you know, a giant problem for every legal cannabis uh, industry operator? Not really. Um, I mean, uh, right now, it's actually legal for banks to uh, do business with the cannabis industry as long as they do uh, uh, a huge list of criterion and uh, with like regular reporting of every transaction, as well as a whole other list of restrictions. Uh, 
that make it very difficult for banks to be able to uh, justify it from a business perspective, but also scare away a lot of people in the cannabis industry because they don't want to have to do uh, you know regular federal reporting. Because if there's a change in the winds in the Department of Justice, uh, they'll be front and center as a criminal organization doing all this business, and all of their information will be right out there for the DOJ to just uh, snap up and go after them. Um, now, that's very, very unlikely to happen, but I can see why cannabis businesses would be nervous about that. Uh, but it, it is uh, possible. Uh, but what we really need is a, a substantive change in the law that provides safe harbor to banks working with businesses that are in compliance with state law. So you, you mentioned that, you know, that, that um, you, you don't anticipate a crackdown. Federal policy has so far not interfered much with existing programs. Uh, Jeff Sessions, He's out. Uh, I know, you know, everyone was really nervous. Well, he was head of the DOJ. Uh, Congress included hemp legalization in the federal farm bill. And I know that that's not legalized cannabis. But how much of an impact could, um, you know, the hemp legalization have on cannabis policy throughout the U.S. going forward? Well, I mean, hemp was only made illegal because of, you know, the reefer madness directed at, uh, at cannabis. Uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, now it uh, has the prohibition against hemp has been uh, uh, greatly lessened and stripped out of uh, law and uh, was supported so overwhelmingly by both parties, I think is a sign that that reefer madness is starting to dissipate. Um, it's also uh, really good because it's sort of a stepping stone for a lot of politicians that might be a little bit nervous about the issue. So you know, I think it's obviously a good sign. Um, it's also going to be great for uh, innovation in terms of uh, production when uh, the individual states start applying for hemp licenses from the federal government. And are able to start, uh, you know, setting up farms and setting up production quotas and uh, uh, all these other structures that are necessary under the new uh, farm bill. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's good practice for the states and good practice for the federal government uh, in developing uh, regulated cannabis systems. And. You know, a lot of the the sort of headlines uh, after, you know, McConnell signs this piece of legislation with his hemp made pen, uh, you know, sort of screamed CBD will be legal. There, there, There's a lot of questions, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of people claim to have answers, no firm answers. Um, I have sort of my own understanding. What is your understanding about what this federal legalization of hemp will do for CBD? Well, the bottom line is that CBD uh, remains a Schedule One substance under the Controlled Substances Act and is currently banned by the FDA. The Farm Bill specifically says that nothing in the bill uh, interferes with the FDA's ability to regulate CBD. Um, the only carve-out that the Farm Bill provides is that um, CBD is exempted from the Controlled Substances Act uh, in states with approved programs. And that is it. And no, well, I'm sorry, I should I should uh, elaborate on that. Um, you know, so even though it is exempted from the Controlled Substances Act in those states with approved programs, it, it's still subject to uh, FDA regulation. And, uh, you know, the, the federal government could become involved if uh, there are any sort of uh, sales going on of CBD products. Uh, but I mean, that's sort of the problem with any sort of uh, legal cannabis or uh, um, medical CBD state. Uh, it's still federally illegal and at the whim of the federal government, uh, whether or not they want to start prosecuting or investigating those things. Um, you know, will they? That remains to be seen, but they can. So anybody that's, uh, you know, in the, involved in that industry should uh, definitely consult a lawyer and be very careful about uh, knowing exactly what risks they're taking. 
has has the, the, this first couple of years of the Trump administration when he was elected, you know, I mean, the, the industry was sort of screaming, you know, it was sort of on edge. Um, is it surprising to you guys at all that there hasn't been any sort of major interference in the Trump era? Not really. Uh, you know, on the campaign trail, uh, Trump said that uh, he was uh, definitely supportive of medical cannabis and that he thought that adult use should be left up to the states. And he reiterated that once in office. And uh, it's really not an issue that's at the forefront of his mind. Um, and, uh, you know, very recently, uh, he uh, said that he would support the, the States Act. So these are all good signs. Uh, you know, I just think that uh, anybody that's worried about a Trump directed crackdown uh, probably shouldn't worry about that because, uh, you know, he's voiced support and it's not a major issue for him. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about, uh, you know, the recent successes, the states that are that are going online. Um, which of the new markets excites you most? You know, Massachusetts just started sales. Uh, Maine is inching closer. You know, they, they, they've had some process problems. Michigan just legalized. Uh, you know, so, so which one, you know, which, which one's exciting you guys most? Well, you know, Maine has obviously had a huge problem with uh, implementation and getting the regulations passed. And, uh, you know, they, they seem to be inching closer to opening sales, but it's already been two years. Um, but hopefully they'll be able to get something going soon. Massachusetts shows signs of being a wonderfully regulated system and is still, you know, working on uh, fleshing it out. Um, Michigan obviously hasn't started regulating yet, but I think that in terms of outlook, Michigan is probably the most exciting uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's the first state in the Midwest to legalize cannabis for adult use, which is going to be a game changer, and uh, especially in terms of uh, you know public opinion in somewhat more socially conservative states. Um, it allows for an unlimited number of micro business licenses, which will allow uh, you know uh, hobby farmers and small mom and pop stores and other small businesses to be able to uh, create a niche in the market uh, without having to deal with uh, any of the uh, the onerous uh, regulatory or licensing fees or uh, you know having to compete with uh, you know major businesses for a limited number of licenses. Um, and also, it's just simple population. I mean, Michigan is the second most populous legal state behind California, and that's just huge. And sort of looking ahead to 2019, I know that you guys are more focused on on federal policy. Um, there's been a lot of talk in, that Rhode Island's on the verge of passing a legislature-approved legislature legalization measure. Uh, in New Jersey, they the legislature recently uh, voted on legalizing cannabis uh, in a, not a binding vote, uh, but it was pretty overwhelming. Um, and, you know, I live in New York and I can tell you that if New Jersey falls, New York is not far behind. Um, and and there and, and lawmakers here along with Governor Cuomo are looking at their own legalization measures. Um, have you guys sort of been internally discussing, you know, which is going to be the next domino to fall? Well, uh, you know, a lot of states in the Northeast uh, seem to be on the verge. Uh, you mentioned New Jersey, which has been having serious discussions about the issue. Uh, Connecticut and Den uh, Delaware are uh, also doing so and have been actually considering legislation for the last couple of years now and seem to be uh, right on the cusp. Uh, you know, I've been hearing a lot of uh, things from uh, Governor Cuomo in New York and uh, a lot of New York legislatures, uh, legislators uh, who are also uh, very supportive and want to see this get done quickly. Um, 
uh, I think that New York might take a little bit while longer, but I think really the one to watch is Illinois. Uh, you know, following the uh, uh, midterm elections and uh, um, the election of J.B. Pritzker to uh, governor, uh, he is very supportive of uh, legalization and has actually said that he wants Illinois to beat Michigan to opening retail stores and has already put together a task force featuring members of the industry, uh, including uh, the uh, head of Cresco Labs. Um, a, uh, Chris Lindsay from the Marijuana Policy Project is on that task force. And, uh, you know, things are definitely moving uh, in the right direction. There's a lot of supportive state legislatures, uh, legislators uh, in that state as well. And I think that with that kind of momentum and that kind of uh, top-down motivation to uh, get this done, it might actually beat some of the states in the uh, in the Northeast. Um, but uh, yeah, it's anybody's guess as to uh, whether uh, you know states like New Jersey, Delaware, or uh, Connecticut are going to go first, or maybe it'll be something like uh, uh, Vermont actually deciding to regulate their. Uh, uh, their market, or uh, New Hampshire deciding to take the advice of its educational task force and uh, actually move forward with legalization as well. Um, you know, it, it's really difficult to tell who's going to be first, but the fact that all of these states are considering doing so at relatively the same time is indicative of how far this uh, this movement has come and how quickly uh, this is becoming the new reality. So, I mean, we haven't hit a critical mass by any means yet. Um, and, and I just want to touch back on this banking issue because it is so important. Um, how much more important is this banking issue becoming as states are going online? Uh, well, I mean, it's obviously an issue uh, that uh, affects every business that directly touches the plant. And as more and more of those businesses uh, come online, it becomes a much bigger problem. Um, and it's not just a problem for those businesses. It's a problem for uh, everybody involved in uh, uh, their finances. And that includes the federal government and the IRS. So, uh, you know, we're already seeing uh, increased interest from uh banking associations to address this issue. We're seeing increased interest in Congress to address this issue. And because it's not uh, you know, directly related to uh, cannabis policy in terms of uh, you know, what people are doing with the actual plant and with cannabis products, it's just basically an economic issue. I think it's a lot more palatable to a lot of members of Congress. So save, save for you know, full federal legalization. Would you say that that this is that the banking issue is probably the sort of the, the, the potential game changer on a federal level at this point in the legalization process? Uh, it's definitely up there. Uh, I mean, it's uh, one of the two most important non-comprehensive issues that uh, we deal with and uh, would certainly uh, you know, allow banks to uh, profit. It would allow businesses to profit and be able to uh, use financial services much more cheaply than they do when they can do them at all. Um, I mean, and it, just in terms of optics, it would uh, normalize this industry in a way that I think that uh, it hasn't been up to this point at a federal level. So you mentioned that's your, you know, one of your top two issues. What's what's your second top issue? Well, we're also working on 280E, which, uh, as you know, prevents businesses from being able to deduct business expenses uh, when they're filing federal taxes. And that can be incredibly expensive to the point where, where it makes many businesses non-viable. How hard is that for people to comprehend when they're entering the space? Like how, how many sort of new operators do you deal, you know, try to advise solely on this issue or talk to solely about this issue? Well, there are so, there are so many uh, cannabis-focused accountant uh, groups now that um, 
you know, the services are there to make sure that people are very aware. And one of the things that we do at NCIA is make sure that members are connected with people that provide such services and, um, you know, at least know of uh, their existence so that if they choose, they can uh, decide to uh, follow or go after their advice and uh, uh, take advantage of the expertise of people that have been working with cannabis businesses for years now. Um, you know, I think that it's pretty common knowledge uh that this is a problem that the cannabis industry has been taxed unfairly. But, uh, you know, we definitely like to make sure that um, you know, people know about uh, uh, the problems that this creates for businesses. And generally, when people are uh, becoming NCI members, they are already involved in the industry, so they already probably know. But we just like to make sure that uh, they know that there are resources out there to make sure that they are in compliance with those and then don't get some huge bill from the IRS a couple years down the road and potentially have to go to prison over it. And, and, you know, you work very closely with a variety of operators in this space. What sort of trends have you seen in terms of, you know, in, during the last year of, of what business have, have you seen, you know, popping up in this space more so than others? You know, we're seeing uh, a lot of, I mean, just in terms of the uh, um the actual cannabis market, uh, we're seeing a lot more people doing, uh, getting involved in extraction and making, uh, you know, concentrates and edibles and the, uh, you know, the professionalism that's involved in that has just been exploding, uh, as well as the innovation. Uh, but the ancillary industries that are deciding to focus on cannabis are really what have been, uh, blowing up. I mean, I think that only about 40% of our membership actually are, uh, uh, actually touch the plant are involved in uh, cultivation, extraction, processing, and uh, retail. Uh, the rest of them are all ancillary businesses that have, uh, for one reason or another, decided to focus on the cannabis industry. And that's, you know, as I mentioned, accountants, uh, you know, software programmers, security, transportation, everything from to general contractors, real estate, uh, you know, even plumbers. Uh, people that produce uh, lighting equipment, uh, people that produce nutrients, uh, you know, all of these businesses are uh, uh, taking advantage of the rising tide of uh, uh, the cannabis industry. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, such trades as, as plumbers. Um, are you seeing people who have been, you know, plumbing or doing a trade for a, for a long time uh, come into the space? Or are you seeing sort of younger folks who are, you know, just sort of learning or who have just learned that trade or just getting involved in that trade enter the space? I mean, just anecdotally, uh, earlier this year, I was talking to a guy who had a uh, like a small uh, plumbing business that, you know, he was in danger of going under, uh, you know, three or four years ago. And uh, when... Uh, the state that he lived in uh, decided to legalize cannabis. Uh, his saw his business overnight just basically uh, recover and then uh, double and then triple in revenue to the point where he's actually hiring people and creating jobs now. And we're hearing those sort of stories all over the place in a number of different in, uh, ancillary industries. So for someone like a plumber, I mean, this is fascinating to me. Do, do they, you know, is it because, I guess, more straight-laced plumbers don't want to go into these places? Or, um, you know, are they are they learning and working on, you know, uh, treatment systems? I'm, I'm very curious as to what role. Oh, I mean, we're, we're seeing, uh, like, traditional straight-laced uh, professionals and tradesmen uh, come into this industry and realize what a boon it is. I mean, uh, it's... You know, sometimes it's a majority of their clientele. Sometimes it's only a portion of their business. Uh, but the people that are willing to uh, actively pursue working with uh, uh, cannabis businesses are seeing a real benefit. That's really, really fascinating stuff to me. Um, 
I want to talk to you, you know, again, you, you work, you know, with so many different businesses that sort of span the industry. Um, what, what consumer trends are, are your members talking about uh, that, that they've noticed, you know, in say the last year or so? And, you know, do they expect those trends to continue into 2019 or what might shift? Uh, from what I've been able to tell, uh, it seems as if, uh, and this has been happening for the last couple of years, but uh, concentrates are uh, increasingly becoming more popular. Uh, you know, flour is still king, but uh, its market share is starting to lessen, and I think that might be largely because of you know uh, both the convenience and discretion and uh, you know lack of smoke involved with a lot of uh, you know vaporizable and uh, edible products. And is this something, you know, you guys continue, you think you're going to continue to see going forward or, you know, might, might it shift to more where edibles gets more of a market share? I think it's really difficult to say. And uh, it also depends a whole lot on uh, consumer education. Um, you know, I, I think for many years, people probably uh, were, um, you know, very interested in edibles because, uh, you know, especially for uh, new consumers, they weren't comfortable with or weren't familiar with smoking, or they still had some sort of a hang up about it. Um, and, uh, you know, they were maybe a little bit scared of vaporizers, but, you know, eating a brownie or a cookie seemed familiar to them. Uh, but then you had the uh, opposite problem where people didn't have enough education about uh, dosing and things like that. So then, you know, they might have had a bad experience. You know, it, it really just does come down to uh, people becoming uh, more familiar with this product, uh, as well as uh, by producers making sure that um, they are uh, followed the very strict guidelines laid out in terms of dosage and labeling. So I, I just want to take another uh, step back to, you know, this this um, idea of traditional, you know, sort of trade people getting involved. And, and I, I wonder about staffing. Are, are, you, are your members having any trouble finding qualified employees to work in this space? Yeah, you know, I, I have heard that uh, from uh, some areas, but uh, along with all these ancillary industries uh, growing up, we're also seeing uh, a tremendous growth in uh, cannabis industry staffing companies like uh, THC Staffing and uh, Vangst. Uh, you know, these are companies that are you know uh, making sure that people know that just because you don't necessarily have any uh, experience with cannabis or in the cannabis industry, that it is a growth industry and that uh, you can take applicable skills from other areas and apply them in this industry, and that's becoming more and more popular. So, so just to sort of sum up here, you know, I mean, we've we've talked about a lot of different things. Um, you know, we talked about banking, we talked about two eighty e. Are these the most pressing issues for the cannabis industry as a whole heading into 2019? Well, I think the most pressing industry, uh, issue is ending cannabis prohibition because that will make it muddier for uh, states to open up new markets. And uh, But most importantly, it will stop uh, people from getting arrested for uh, using this product. Um, but aside from that, I think that banking and 280E are probably the most important issues for the industry at this point. And, and briefly, you, you mentioned the criminal justice aspects of it. The federal government, uh, as you probably know, uh, is working on a, a criminal justice reform bill that, well, it's not going to release cannabis prisoners per se um, on a federal level. Um, you know, we'll, it will make some changes. Um, it will reduce some sentences, uh, let some people out because the federal jails are overcrowded. Um, is this to you guys sort of a step in the right direction towards, you know, maybe a federal uh, wipe of cannabis crimes? Is this 
possible? Uh, well, because most cannabis arrests occur at the state level, I don't think that it's possible for the federal government to uh, vacate or uh, expunge uh those state criminal records. Um, however, I think that it, there could be a possibility for doing so at the federal level, which were mostly like distribution charges and things like that. Uh, but it is a, a sign that people are actually starting to think about the issues of expungement and trying to undo some of the harms caused by prohibition. You know, back when Colorado first uh, uh, was trying to legalize cannabis, uh, the idea of retroactive amnesty or expungement was uh, wildly unpopular. So people didn't even consider putting it into the law. And uh, now as people have gotten more comfortable with legalization, uh, the idea of uh, you know, uh, not only undoing the harms of prohibition, but making sure that people who have been caught up in uh, uh, prohibition and it's, you know, uh, notoriously unfair enforcement uh, still have the, uh, the ability to uh, work in the cannabis industry and expungement is a really big part of that. So I think that, um, you know, this is, uh, the federal bill, uh, coming close to getting passed will be a big sign that states should start considering doing the same. And we're already seeing that in, uh, legal states such as California and Massachusetts, um, where there's, uh, uh you know, active efforts to expunge past, uh, criminal, uh, marijuana convictions. Uh, so it's definitely good. And, you know, speaking of the criminal justice bill, uh, it's uh, very interesting that you said that it wouldn't affect cannabis because it actually might. Uh, Senator Cory Gardner uh, is trying to uh, insert language into that bill that would, uh, you know, in effect, uh, uh, allow states to determine their own cannabis policies. And, uh, you know, if he's successful, then uh, that will be a game changer. I didn't know that he was he was trying to do that. And Gardner, uh, for people who might not know, um, was blocking uh, judicial nominees, uh, basically asking for the administration to promise that they wouldn't enforce uh, federal law. Um, so, so he's been sort of an ally. Um, just to sort of wrap up here, what advice would you have for individuals interested in entering the cannabis space? Uh, Education, education, education. Um, you know, look to the uh, you know established uh, national groups such as NCIA, and uh, uh, you know, learn what's going on in your state. Uh, do as much networking as possible, and make sure that you know uh, the uh, the difficulties. Uh, that are associated with navigating this really complex regulatory environment. Um, another is to make sure that you have capital lined up because unfortunately there are still very high barriers of entry and it can be very difficult to get into the industry um, without access to them. That's not to say that it's impossible, but uh, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges facing uh, cannabis business or prospective cannabis entrepreneurs right now. Um, but really, yeah, it's just making sure that you know the ins and outs. And there are a number of uh, services that are available to uh, help out with those uh, those problems. Well, Morgan, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, this has you know, been a great wide-ranging conversation. Um, I really appreciate the work that, that you guys do over there at the NCIA. And I hope that you know, we get to touch base again in 2019. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. 